but something that is far less basic than that would be, well, now what? I mean, honestly, I didn't... You've made it through this. I mean, now what? And now it starts. So now we have our baby. What is the next step? Because I'm a, I'm a forward thinker, but all that goes out the window while you're in the delivery room. And then it's time to actually be a dad. How do I do that? Was the main question. How do I dad right now? You know? This is Epic Ordinary Lives Podcast. Welcome to episode 19 of Epic Ordinary Lives. This podcast is aimed to to tell the story of people's lives. And one of the cool parts about hearing stories of different people's lives, at least for me, has been that I hear about slices of life that I'm not currently engaging in. And in that way, it, it kind of deepens my own experience because... My experience is different, but it also might color my experience of that event when it happens for me. And and in that way, this really speaks to this week's guest, which is Kevin Vaughn, one of my old, old friends going back to the literally the beginning of college. So if you've listened to this podcast at all, several interviews are with old friends and that format usually is different than when I'm interviewing someone I don't know. And that's how we start off. We really dig into our history. And I think that this particular episode is fun because it speaks to that period of time where you're early in college. And this can apply to anything. Being early in whatever whatever thing you're new in. And we talk a lot about the vulnerability of being in college and not not knowing people and wondering what it's going to look like and thinking you're going to study. That, that There's a whole early part about how we met. And he's a teacher. He's been a high school chemistry teacher for a while, and he's really good at it. And one of the things that we discuss there is, is some of the lessons that he's learned being a teacher. And even if you have never been a teacher or you don't have teachers that are family members, we've all been through school of some kind. And we also all have the, the movies and TV shows that feature teachers. And, and yet this is really cool to hear someone that recently turned 30 who's been teaching ever since he left college and that perspective, the real life of it. But the main focus of part one with Kevin Vaughn is becoming a father. He's a father of two boys, and at the time of recording, his second son was, was extremely young, and, and still is. This was about six months ago. And this is that slice of life of what it means to be a young 
new parent. And we really talk about what it's like to be there for the, the actual process and, and the days afterward when you're home with a new human life. And what does that mean? I thoroughly enjoyed this, and I think that this journey that he's been on can apply to to anyone's life wherever they are, because a lot of our identities arise while we're learning how to to do them. You know, there's no that there's very little sections of quote unquote adulthood that offer training wheels, and while parts of his journey offer training wheels. Many do not. So I hope you enjoy part one with Kevin Vaughn. I I really liked it's a a wide-ranging conversation. And I want to say that I'm likely going to move in a direction with this podcast where I don't divide podcasts up into multiple part segments. That, That was never intended to be the goal was to have a million weeks of episodes that are split up like that. But I recently started a new position and a new job and moved all at the same time while creating this podcast, really in its early stages. So when all of these elements happen at the same time, I am splitting up episodes and learning how to do this and loving it, but have every intention to eventually just have longer form episodes and, and, and things like that. If you're enjoying this work, really something that I think would be awesome is, is reach out to me on some platform and, and please tell me good, bad, anything. Please tell me what aspect of this you would change or a guest you'd be interested. I've appreciated all of those that have reached out because it's helped me get better at this. And as always, if you want to support this podcast, the best way to do that is to write a review on iTunes. So let's jump right in to part one with Kevin Vaughn on a great many number of topics and a great many different number of chapters of life discussed. But first and foremost, that of becoming a father here on Epic Ordinary Lives. I am sitting with Kevin Vaughn, one of the original friends that I made back in 2005 when we all converged on the sacred ground that no longer exists known as Felder. That is so strange, isn't it? Yeah. The fact that the building's not even there anymore. It's almost like Felder was just a memory. Which I think is absolutely accurate. (laughs) It is, it is. Have yep. you been on campus at all since? I have. I drove around, of course, the science building, the new science building mm-hmm. is really all I'm interested in. And anytime there's an event there, I get lost now, which seems strange because I knew that campus like the back of my hand. And then all of a sudden, I don't even know, what is it? The new student union building? It's in a whole nother section. It doesn't of... belong there. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't look like the KUC or the JUB. It does, just doesn't look like any of the other buildings. So it doesn't make sense, but... You know, good for MTSU for expanding and all that good stuff, but it's not home. No, and and it almost adds an epic quality to the fact that there were rooms that we laid and went to sleep in and (laughs) and lived in and ate ramen noodles in and threw frisbees frisbees at each other in and 
dressed up as women and jumped out of beds and huh well yeah. i guess you know Remember what that one? we're we're going to we're going <laughs> to tease that out and then we're going to come that's back right. to that i think so <laughs> on the next episode i think that's good <laughs> i like to always start by getting into kind of the origin story of how we met and we've already set the time i mean it was 2005 do you remember those first days in the dorm? Not very well. I remember going to college thinking, I don't want to live with a roommate, but I have to because I want to be on my own. My first roommate, you know, I, this is embarrassing. I don't remember his name because he wasn't my roommate for long. Oh, I, you remember? Was it? Really curly yeah, hair curly played hair soccer. Dark. Yeah, and I met him in Nashville, by the way, like a couple years ago. Really? He worked at a burger place. That's wild. I don't know if I would recognize him if I saw him. Zach, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, that was my roommate. He was only my roommate for like a semester. Mm-hmm. And then I think he had to like move back home or something like that. NADC. He was going to auto diesel school. Okay. That's weird where that came from. But anyway, he uh, he you, moved back you home. I don't remember his name, but you remember his specific life. Well, it was just so weird being on campus. It was surreal because... You're away from your parents. You're away from all your your normal friends of four years from high school. And I have to have a roommate, which I didn't want one. And then I really wasn't very social the first semester in Felder. Because hmm. I didn't really want to. I was just there to study. Uh, that's why I got in the honors dorm, is so that I could focus on my studying. And then I realized how easy some of my classes were and that I didn't have to study all that much that I expected to. I studied for what I needed to and then I got to know Felder and that was that was when it was a lot of fun. It was whenever I just kind of relaxed and went, it's just school. These people I'm going to know for hopefully the rest of my life, you know. Then I had my, my second roommate, Nate, and that's when it was, it became fun. So I guess my my second semester of college is whenever it first got really fun. And then we met sometime in that point. I don't remember the exact time. Just going out with all the guys in Felder, just going to eat, mm-hmm. you know, you know, that, that was the best part. Do you remember like a specific, was it more of like one moment where you, you remember going, Oh man, like I'm, these guys are actually kind of cool. Or was it more of a gradual kind of thing? You know, I, I don't know. I remember thinking whenever we did the haunted house. Okay. The haunted house is whenever we kind of had to work as a team together. And that got me thinking, yeah, this is a pretty good group of guys. I can hang out with these guys, you know? Um, And I'm glad that we did that. It brought us all together. There were people on our floor and up above us that we had never even talked to if it hadn't been for that. So decorating for that. Well, it was a haunted house, right? Yeah, we com- so we competed, I guess, with the other floors. This just to set the stage. Yeah. This was a yearly competition where each floor would come up with their own haunted house, and people from across the campus would go to these things. Yeah, this was our like, man, we're gonna totally win, like because we're committed. We, you were the guy that led the tour, weren't you? No, that I was think Robert. Robert. Did that. Robert. Yeah. What, do you remember what you? Uh, nope, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. I know one of the really cool things we did is we had Nate, your roommate who you mentioned, and by the way, just to say, 
rest in peace, yeah. Nate. Yeah. Uh, we may get into that later, but he is one of our great friends that is no longer with us. With yep. us. Yep. So this one's for you, buddy. But we had him go through with every group that went through. <laughs> he was a mole. He was a mole. That's right. And he got pulled into a room. That's right. So we had everybody on that tour going, oh, these guys are crazy. These guys are they nuts. will grab us and pull <laughs> Like, that's how nuts they are. Yeah. We set the stage so that everybody would think they could actually get pulled into a room. And that yeah, this... <laughs> it was a feasible possibility. Right. That, that was genius. Looking mm-hmm. back on that, that was genius. We lined the entire hallway. I don't know how long this hallway was. Several hundreds feet long, right? Oh, yeah. Wouldn't you easy, say? Easy, easy. Completely lined the entire hallway, left, right, top, with garbage, black garbage bags, so that it was completely black in there, and filled it with smoke, right? And we had a, a fog smoke machine. machine, like a fog machine. Yeah. yeah. And then we, one of our tours, I don't know if this was our first year or the second year, but we toured them through... The bathroom. Second. Yeah. And it was just creepy. It was awesome. Yeah. And it was very scripted. So we had, you know, everybody had kind of a role. And some people, I remember one of the things I had to do was pop out at this point, but then run around, like go through <laughs> go this outside. area. Yeah. And then yeah. like come back behind them. And we, we got really good at it. And I think the greatest barometer for our success is we would hear somebody come in and they would be making jokes. Like yep. we hear, we hear the, the funny person coming in yeah. and we'd be like, man, he's, he or she is totally going to be crying. Right. That is our goal. <laughs> and, and often they would, yeah. we had one person, I think leave, like they turn around yep. and Say, I'm left not going in the through. middle. They're like, yeah, I can't continue. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember some girls who were coming through and they were scared out of their minds about halfway through. And they were just screaming to let us out, let them out. Yeah. Like, All right. Yeah. I'm done. <laughs> yeah. I'm done. This isn't real. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. And just to put a pin in that, we won. Yeah, of uh, course. We won that year. And it really was this moment where all these people from disparate backgrounds, nobody really had the same major, uh-uh. not really at all. And yet we had all come together and it was this great, nothing can unify people better than like a common struggle. Right, right. Like that. Yeah. So much fun. So that was probably, that was, if that wasn't the single instant where I thought this is a group I could spend a lot of time with that I, I don't remember the other times, mm-hmm. but yeah, it was a, one of the best parts of living in Felder was that and just spending time with all the guys. And it, for me, at least I can remember, you know, you mentioned why you chose the honors dorm. <laughs> uh, ben referenced this as well. I know Colton, uh, by the way, shout out to Colton. He'll probably be very soon a, a guest, but I wanted because I was kind of that kid in high school who, you know, I I could kind of be cool, Mm -hmm. like kind of, but I did not want to really be cool because the cool kids were a little too wild and I kept it pretty safe and I would go hiking in the woods. And actually, in this case, I was riding my bike through vineyards in Germany. So I chose the (laughs) honors dorm because I was like, you know, it'll be a bunch of smart people, maybe AKA nerds uh-huh. uh, like me and it'll be safe. And of course, cut to two weeks later where again, I referenced it. We're throwing, we, we literally used to stand at opposite ends of this <laughs> gigantic hallway that yeah. you referenced and we would throw base uh, softballs. I, I don't Hit think golf balls. Golf balls. Yeah. we well, Which know, was dangerous by the way. Oh yeah. We for sure probably shouldn't be admitting, but the building <laughs> doesn't exist. Anymore. That's right. It's not like they're going to come back and get us. I remember 
somebody would call down the hallway and they would be like, four, call down the hallway so everybody would make sure their doors were closed. <laughs> and then they'd hit the golf ball down. He'd go ricocheting off all the walls. And then you would see a bunch of heads pop out to see where the golf ball landed. Oh, yeah. And what damage was done. Yeah. You remember the other activity that was done in that hallway that was like... Was this baby powder on the floor? This is exactly what okay. I'm referencing. <laughs> baby powder on the floor with one of the mattresses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we and took a mattress off of We bed. basically did a slip and slide, but with no water. And it was with baby powder. And you go running and slide on the mattress as far as you could down the hallway. And of course, our RA... Um, I don't know who it was that year. Maybe it was Adam. Well, so I don't remember. But. The first year, I do remember this. We we did not have a dedicated RA, which is likely the reason That's why we're right. listing this laundry list of fun activities. That's that right. Did that's why we then had an RA and all the fun stopped. Maybe. <laughs> right. So here's a good lesson, college dorms. That's right. Uh, we all kept it very safe. Yeah. It, we very inclusive. Nobody was really really stupid. No, and no one really got hurt. <laughs> I think. I think. But to speak to that, you know, I was wanting to play it safe, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, these were all good people. These were not the, the quote-unquote cool kids in high school who right. will make you feel... These were scrappers like me <laughs> that wanted to go eat at the at the meal hall like you talked about. Yeah. These were... We were all very silly, but we were all very unified in our fact that we were so different. Yeah, yeah. And isn't that what most colleges preach anyway, is diversity? We're diverse campus where everybody can find their place and get along. And yeah, Intish, you did a good job of that. I mean, at least in the honor storm. I can't speak for any other place, but we had a good time. All my oldest friends, literally every single guest that has been on this podcast, <laughs> this unreleased podcast yet. <laughs> but with you and me, we had, we had a, a similarity in that we were both heading towards teaching right and nobody else in the dorm was headed in that direction we were both in a profession that at least traditionally was dominated by women mm-hmm. at least especially in my case with elementary education but that's a question i wanted to ask you was you are now a teacher and if you could i mean what what would you give yourself is it what do you do uh, what do i do well, I'm a chemistry teacher at a high school um, in Smyrna, and I've been teaching. This is my, I guess, eighth year. I'll complete my eighth year in May. That's amazing. And I love it. Everything about it is just fun. Well, not everything. Of course, not everything is fun, but uh, the net gain is I have fun on a regular basis. I like that as a criteria yeah. for evaluating. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that somebody pays me to have fun at work is awesome you know you know teaching high school chemistry is fun in that the kids typically anticipate not being good at chemistry Hmm. most i would say the 80 percent of my students think i'm not going to be good at chemistry and we get to the end of the year and they're ready for ap chemistry wow and they're excited about it most of them um some are not necessarily excited about the next step but they're they think at least I made it mm-hmm. and it wasn't that bad. So my goal when I go to work is to make sure that my students feel loved, that they hear, I love you from somebody uh, within that week. You know, I'm, I was shocked to hear how many of my students don't hear that. 
from home yeah. or from just somebody. So I tell my students my a regular phrase that I use is I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. I'll see you tomorrow. Oh. And and they love it. Uh, at first it makes them feel real weird. Sure. I don't care, you know. You know, working at the high school level is my sweet spot. Student taught for however many weeks, 8 weeks, 4 weeks, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> it, was middle, it was a blur. Uh plus it was middle school, so um that was a blur in and of itself. So I student taught middle school. It was all right, but my sweet spot is high school. And I'd like to get into administration uh, one day. I feel like I can support teachers. That's where my passion is, you know. And by administration, you're talking about I mean, a principal. assistant principal, principal, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, preferably of a middle school or high school. It's kind of strange. I prefer teaching high school, but I think I would prefer being a middle school principal. Why? I don't know. It's just just a strange preference, I guess. I don't, it's an extremely I don't viable answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what you're talking about with telling, especially kids, like, you know, I taught for a very brief time compared to you, so I have all the respect in the world for you. And you know that because I praise that every time I see you. <laughs> you do. Um, but, you know, so the... the, the what I think is really cool about what you said is the unconditional aspect. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And so many of these kids, that's exactly the thing that I think they lack sometimes is this lack of conditions in the good way. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm also in the Dean's office, which is kind of a disciplinary role. Mm. It's kind of like assistant to the assistant principal. You know what I mean? So I deal with minor discipline issues. You know, if I if you take up a cell phone, if you're tardy to school too many times, if you have a dress code violation, those are kind of what I deal with. And my school is kind enough to give me a, a whole class period where I'm a dean. So I get to see, you know, normally I teach AP chemistry students. You know, the elite of the elite. Right. I mean, they're the cream. And then one period out of my day, I get to come back to reality and realize that the whole school is not like my class. And I call in the kids and we talk about, yes, they had a dress code violation. But if you zoom out and look at the big picture, who cares? Yeah, they broke school policy, but they didn't, I don't know, they didn't hurt someone. They broke a policy. So they get whatever their discipline action is, they get their consequence, and then we talk. And then we figure out, you know, what is... What's going on with them? What's home life like? And are they on a sports team? And then they realize that there's another adult who actually cares about them that doesn't care that they have holes in their pants, you know? And I I don't know. That's, I I love having both sides of that job, you know? Because there's a goal, perhaps not literally a goal behind wearing too short of shorts, but there is an action or there is something that is being attained. Sure. But it's not... It's not to make the school mad. No. That's not the no. goal. And, and they often, if... they oftentimes think that that is the goal. Is that I called them in the office because they have offended me, right? And I want to get back at them. And that is absolutely not true. And if there's any disciplinarian out there that is like that, they need to be removed because that's not the case. You either love kids or you don't. And if you love kids, you're going to teach them what the policies are so that they will follow them. But then you love them. You know, you got to love on them. 
and the actual disciplinarian part of it is just a logical consequence of not this emotion laden revenge <laughs> right. or right. gotcha yeah or punishment driven and, and just to be transparent i used to be that way sure but it's because i've been taught by my cohorts that that's kind of how you were supposed to treat kids oh interesting which is awful and then i started realizing what my own voice was and what my own role should be and then of course having kids change changes your perspective on education completely because then you start treating every single child as your own mm. or you try to and so being able to look at every kid young adult future professional through the eyes of a parent changes things so whenever i make parent phone calls now I mean, it used to be, hey, little Johnny was out of line, and this is what's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen if he does it again. And now it's like, hey, this is so-and-so in the dean's office. I need to let you know that Johnny broke one of our policies. Um, we've already talked about it. He said he's not going to do it anymore. I just want to make sure you're in the loop, and have a good day. And that's, you know, that is the extent of it. And, of course, they never always end. They never end. What am I trying to say? They don't always end well. Sure. Um, yeah. Because you have parents who are human too, and they have their own stuff, their own garbage that they're going through. But um, I try to tell my students, everybody is always going through something. So whatever your baggage is, whatever your garbage is that you're holding on to, understand that somebody else is going through garbage and baggage at the same time. It just looks different than yours. You got to let it go. You know, if they offend you, if they um, neglect you, if they forget about you, if they wrong you, whatever it is, give them a break. We're supposed to forgive people. And so that, you know, you've got to lead by example. So as an administrator, as a dean, as a teacher, I've got to show them what it looks like to forgive them, but still hold them accountable to their consequences. And the only way you do that is just love on them, you know. And why was it becoming a parent that changed, that broadened this perspective where you no longer kind of felt it as this personal slight to you that they're misbehaving? How did that happen? The initial change was whenever I changed from my first school where I was at. I was teaching at one at a high school for four years. It was at the high school I attended as a student. Right. And so I worked with cohorts that used to be my teachers. That's weird. And, you know, everybody says, was it so weird? And I'm like, eh, it wasn't. But it's because I had built a, a decent professional relationship with them. However, many of them were jaded in the profession. And, like, you know, their own kids have grown up and moved out. So they've kind of lost sight of why they even went into education in the first place. And that's who my mentors were. Okay. So that's how I learned how to treat teenagers when I was really just a couple years out from being one. And then I moved to a different school, which is the best thing for me. When I moved to a different school, I had gotten married. And so my perception of relationships changed there. And that's what you're doing with students. You're building relationships. Nothing strange, nothing weird. No. But you build trustworthy relationship um, so that you can teach them something. So that's when my first big change happened was whenever I changed schools. And then the next big explosion was whenever I had kids. I remember coming back from 
you know, I didn't take paternity leave, so to speak, but I did take some time off, not official paternity leave. But when I came back to see every teenager in my room as having been an infant that their parents held at one point was shocking and a little humbling, you know, like these parents, whether they know it or not, are trusting me with their babies. So I better do a darn good job of it, you know, of whatever I'm going to do, I better do a darn good job of it because they're trusting me with their babies. What's so interesting about that too, is that the circumstances of your life did not change Mm -hmm. and you're still looking at the same students, you're in the same building, but you're different because you, you have knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Fundamentally. I've seen a live birth. That'll change you. Okay. (laughs) That changes someone. You know what I mean? Well, let's go there right now. I, I kind of, let's jump around. Live birth, what is that like? <laughs> so, have you ever been in a labor delivery room when somebody's giving birth? No. Okay. So, my wife, the fir- our first child, we have two. Right now, we have an almost three-year-old and a uh, 10-month-old. Our first child, she delivered with an epidural. She, you know, she got the juice so that she couldn't feel her legs. Yeah, pain. And we did not go through a birthing class. We went through the very basic of how not to, you know, drop your baby. That was about it. And how to do infant CPR. And that was, we actually went through that after he was born. But anyway, <laughs> um, so we, uh, we were very naive going into it. But we thought there are millions of people who give birth every day without classes. We can handle this. There used to be zero classes. Exactly. Or uh, just a lady in the village. <laughs> who just talked. Or a man. I don't right. know. Probably, what, probably a lady, probably historically. A lady, right. And so it's not, uh, it's not what, well, not with my wife. It was not what Hollywood shows as somebody screaming. Yes, there was pushing. It was hard. It's how it's designed. You know, I mean, the Bible tells us that women are going to have painful childbirth. That's how it's supposed to be. But it wasn't what the movies show. And the moment, and so I got to hold my son as he's being born. Oh, wow. And so the the doctor allowed me to catch him, so to speak. As he enters this world. And he wasn't breathing. And I'm already a basket case. Right. Because... And, and it's something that it, it happens instantly and everybody said, it's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to weep. You're going to lose your mind when you see your son for the first time. And then you see your wife who is going through all this pain for your family, you know? And then I held him as he exits and I'm, I'm just weeping and it was uncontrollable. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. From, from the moment he came out or even before it was welling up in me, but oh, the wow. moment I saw him is when it just tear, tears started pouring. And then, then he, uh, he, he didn't cry. And I was like, uh, now nah, I knew what all the Hollywood movies told me. They're supposed to cry immediately. Well, that's not the case. They take the little sucker bulb and they go in and they pull out some of the mucus and some mm-hmm. of the, everything else that's down in their, um, in their mouths. And, and I expected the doctor to smake, spank him on the bottom so that he would make a sound, but that's not how they do it. And and I've watched The Miracle of Life. I know what it 
looks like, but it doesn't, it doesn't look like that when you're there, you know, because you're not focused on, uh, <laughs> the graphic nature of it. Like you are in middle school when you watch the video of the nature of life, you know, right. uh, or the, the, whatever it's called. And <laughs> when you're there, you're focused on that little baby. This is who I'm supposed to take home from the hospital soon. They're just going to let me walk out of the hospital with them. I haven't had any training. <laughs> They're just going to let me put them in my car and take them home. And they assume I'm going to take care of them, which of course I will, but I'm going to get some stuff wrong. You, you know? just made a person. Exactly. So I'm holding him. I'm weeping. Finally, he cries. And then it was over. I couldn't, I couldn't hold anything else back. And my wife is in tears and, you know, she's exhausted and then they they lay our son up on top of her chest so they could do skin to skin. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were just us three. There were several people in the room, but I didn't know that they were there. You know what I mean? Oh, man. The second birth was drastically different because she was not medicated. She did an all-natural birth. We went to classes. And it was a long labor, long process. I mean, in the teens of hours. I don't remember exactly how long. And of course, I feel bad for being tired. Right. Here she is laboring through all of this stuff. And I'm like, I'm so sleepy. (laughs) I know if I ever say that out loud, I'm going to get punched. But yeah, rightfully. Yeah. I mean, it's in the, we're in the wee hours of the night and (laughs) she is, she's laboring pretty hard and she's walking around she's doing exercises and stuff like that and then it was time so they got her positioned so that she could actually deliver and uh the doctor the midwife let me catch our second one and he was not breathing and he was not coming around as fast as our first son did and not to interrupt, but is the not breathing, is that completely normal that right out? That's not the case. Immediately. Or? They usually don't. Mm-hmm. So you suck out all the juices out of their throat and, and then they're fine. Um, but they sucked out some of that stuff and he's still not breathing okay. and he's blue and I'm starting to get worried. Um, because we also had a, uh, we had a procedure in place, uh, a plan if things get dicey, because we delivered using midwives at a birthing center, not at a hospital. Okay. So we had an agreement with the local hospital that if things get dicey, they will transport mom and baby to that hospital. I watched The Business of Being Born. Yeah. Did you see that? Uh-uh. Okay. That's exactly what it's about. The mid... Midwifery. Wifery. Yeah. That's the strangest <laughs> word ever. So when our midwife said, uh, I need you to call the hospital. To one of the other midwives. Um, that's when I started getting concerned. And I started weeping for a completely different reason. Because our midwife, we, we knew her pretty well. She was not going to make that phone call unless it was absolutely necessary. Right. Which told me it was necessary. And, na- and now I look at my watch and I'm like, how much time do we have? This is about to get real. And so the ambulance ended up not coming. They made the call and the ambulance did not come. Thankfully. Why? I, 
I don't know if they got lost. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't show. Eventually, they said they called and canceled the ambulance. But it was way after the fact. So I don't. I don't know. I have no idea. Right. It doesn't matter. We have a healthy baby boy, and that's all I cared about at that point. So finally, he starts breathing. Um, we rubbed. We put a couple of drops of frankincense essential oil on his umbilical cord because it really helps oxygenate cells, and that's what he needed. And, I mean, within a few minutes, he was pink. He was at 100% oxygen, which they say rarely happens, um, at 100% that early. And he's fine. And, and you're st- he's still attached to mom right now. Yes, so they, they did skin-to-skin with the umbilical cord still attached. And then after, I don't know, maybe 10... 15 minutes or so, 30 minutes even. I don't, I don't remember. Time stops when you're in a delivery room, you know, and whatever that time was, then the midwife said, all right, time to cut the cord. And so I got to cut the cord on both our sons. Um, and if you've ever tried to cut a garden hose that is coated in Vaseline, that is the closest I could, I could, you heard it here folks (laughs) that's it it is the slipperiest strangest piece of natural natural technology and i was just thankful we have scissors and i didn't you know we don't have to gnaw on the umbilical cord like they used to do you know that's something to be thankful for that's right that's right so anyway yeah that was and then i looked at my students all different after that <laughs> and, and that's that's how we got here. So you talk about being there and mm-hmm. really being there. And in both cases, you're the only three people in this room. Yep. What is going through your head? Obviously, there was drama more so in the second one than the first one. But let's just go through what is the mental dialogue? Let's just say of 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 both. When you're done, when you're all holding, you're holding, she's holding him, you're holding her, you're holding him at the same time. What is going through your head when you've made it through, let's say, the first one, and then let's do the second one if it's different in any way? So, the, <clears throat> I would say that <laughs> the mental dialogue that's going through my head is, first, I'm starving. <laughs> because, you know, I know she's laboring, but I'm also not eating during this process. And you're a human. Be- right, because I'm supporting her, and I know she's going to be ravenous. Right. Um, 10x whatever level. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm hungry is one of my one of the dialogues going through my head. And I'm thirsty because we're both dehydrated. But something that is far less basic than that would be, well, now what? I mean, honestly, I didn't... You've made it through this. I mean, now what? And now it starts. So now we have our baby. What is the next step? Because I'm a, I'm a forward thinker, but all that goes out the window while you're in the delivery room. And then it's time to actually be a dad. How do I do that? was the main question. How do I dad right now? You know, I know I'm gonna have to change a diaper. Where are the diapers? 
these are the strange logistical, logistical questions that are going mm-hmm. through my head. Because I know my wife is not about to think logistically right now. She's just going to ask or demand for something. And I'm going to be the one that makes it happen. I don't care how crazy it sounds. I'm going to make it happen because she's my wife and that's what I do. So, where are the diapers? Um, what happens when he cries? What do we do? Is he going to nurse? Um, we had planned on him nursing instead of using formula. So we had to have a lactation consultant come in to teach my wife and our baby what lactation, what um, attaching looks like, and, and how that process works with our first child. Because um, it's surprisingly difficult for some women. And so we had a lactation consultant come in so that our baby would actually eat, you know. And, and just to display my sure. own ignorance, <laughs> is that just the process of of nursing? Or are you talking it, about... The- yes. So you have latching, which is where the baby latches to the breast. And then that's usually the biggest issue is getting the baby to latch and to stay on the breast. Milk comes out. You know, that's mm-hmm. not the... That's usually not an issue. Now, sometimes uh, mothers have to, um, they have to use formula also because their milk hasn't come in yet or whatever it is. You know, I'll, this is probably way more information well, uh, than you no, want. And, and if anybody who's listening is going, they're talking about the, pro- these are the kinds of things that speak to this place where you are, this frontier that you, you know not where you go. You, you, we all have these cultural f- feedback loops or however you would, this unconscious kind of indoctrination into how, what it's supposed to look like. And right. you've already mentioned how many ways it, it's not like that. Yeah. How many ways reality is different. Yeah. So with this, Really, I mean, I was talking about Joseph Campbell, the mm. hero's journey in the last podcast with Logan Cook. By the way, shout out to Logan Cook. Woo-hoo. But, you know, there's the, the first step is answering the call. Mm-hmm. There's the call to adventure, the call to this quest. And you can either answer the call or you can refuse the call. Mm-hmm. I don't think you necessarily had a choice, <laughs> but you there was this call of become a father right now. Get in a stance and go. So what are those first, I mean, take us through those first, did you stay at the hospital for a while? Did you go home? Yeah, so that was something that um, I didn't anticipate enjoying, but I did enjoy being at the hospital in our first birth um, because we felt safe. We couldn't mess it up. I mean, there were nurses and doctors everywhere. If something went wrong, we had somebody to turn to. Right, expert. And then they said it was time to pack up the car and go home. And that's when it started getting scary. Because we were like, what do we do when we get home? We have a nursery maid. We were ready to receive baby. But, I mean, all we wanted to do was go to bed. And (laughs) that's not what newborns typically do. They will sleep, but then they're crying and they're hungry and they're wet or dirty. And that's all newborns do. So the first, everybody says, if you can make it through the first three days. And then everybody says, if you can make it through the first three weeks. And then everybody says, if you can make it through the first three months. And I'm like, well, here we are almost through the first three years on my first son. And I'm like, man, if I could just make it through the first three years. <laughs> but anyway. Another misconception. <laughs> exactly. 
everybody's just trying to make you feel better because they know that you're going through hell and it's hard. Now, with the second child, delivering at a birthing center, their policy is you go home the same day. Uh, it sounded nice, but we missed that security. Granted, we didn't really feel like we needed it with our second one because we were parents once over. Experienced. Yeah. We still don't know what we're doing, but we're, we try stuff out. We see what happens. So that security of being at the hospital for the first child was, that was divine. It was great. You didn't have to worry about food. They supplied some diapers. If you had trouble with nursing, there was somebody there. Um, you had people who sh- would shower you with gifts and stop by and see you and would dote on you and your babies. And that was awesome, you know? Plus, I wasn't at work. That was great. My wife wasn't at work. So we didn't, we really had no, uh, nothing to worry about. We had no obligations besides our baby. But the second one, obligation set in pretty quick because we were at home that same day. And we also, thankfully, my parents took our oldest son. Okay, that was a question that was... What we were worried, how do we deal with two kids now? Right. Because that's a completely different dynamic. Thankfully, our, my parents took our oldest son so that we could get acclimated to being at home for a little bit. Who was how old at the time? A, about one-ish. Okay, yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah. That's two babies. Yeah, yeah. They are, I don't know. I don't know how old they are. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, they're still <laughs> they're, alive, They're right? young, that's yeah, right. Yeah, you're doing a good job. I got my wife this past Mother's Day. I think it was Mother's Day. I got her a card that said, well, we kept them alive for another year. Go it's, you. Yeah. <laughs> n- nothing but good that vibes was it. there. That's right. So, so you, you, well, it's, that's very interesting too. this notion that you, I can see having the, the baby and then it's like you get training wheels of yeah. parenting. It's yeah. like you, you've got assistance and it's almost, it sounds like you can bask in the beauty of the moment a little bit more and the togetherness rather than diving completely into logistics and all of that. Yeah. And then everybody goes home and then you're on your own. And I remember when my wife and I, when we first got married, we went, we were going to our honeymoon and we had to fly through Miami. Uh, We were going to St. Lucia. So we flew from Nashville to Miami and then we're going to do the international flight from Miami down to St. Lucia. Right. We get to Miami. I had never flown internationally before. So I didn't know that you had to get your luggage and then take them to the international side of the airport. You know what I mean? Yeah, you have to do the steps again. I had no idea. And security and Even though they told us this on the plane. Right. I wasn't listening. I was on my honeymoon. So we get to Miami and we go through the, the big doors that say you can't go back through. And... We get through and they were like, did you grab your luggage? We're like, no, we're heading to St. Lucia. And they were like, you've got to get your luggage. So we have to go back through security. We have to go get our bags. Then we have to go back through the security with our bags. And then we have to go through security again. And at some point I just, I, and we were going to be late to our flight. Like we weren't going to make it. But we dropped everything and I hugged my wife and I said, it's just us. We are all that we have right here in this moment if we can't make this happen nobody's going to do it for us 
And that was the real moment of we are doing this on our own and we have to be each other's support system. And the same thing happened whenever we started having kids. We were like, nobody else is going to take care of our kids. If anybody takes care of these kids, it's us. So we got to figure it out. Sink or swim sort of thing. The second child was a lot easier. (laughs) Because you had the experience. We did. Now it's just learning the dynamics of what do you do with two. It's not a survival thing. It's you have to become savvy. (laughs) You're in the master's degree, perhaps. That's right. You had your bachelor's degree before your... My mom, when she goes to weddings, she tells the the new couple, take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And what she means by that is, and and she often gives an explanation, but it's like, you're no longer this person's son and daughter. You still are, but primarily you're this person's husband or you're this person's wife. Right. And this this is your show now. This is your game. You're, You're playing with gasoline now. And I think that speaks to what you were talking about. Yeah. We are the narrative here. That's right. There are no uh, people that are going to tap in and, and help us here. That's right. And, you know, I guess that's not entirely true. You have support systems in place. Like my parents are there to help us. Our church is there to help us. We have friends that we knew back when we were single that are there that can help us. But it's, it's still different. You know, we have support systems, but it's still us. Well, you're the generals. Yeah, we have to put the time in. And that's that's one big thing is that marriage and parenthood, but marriage definitely is, it's all about, are you putting in the work? You know, if you're not investing in your marriage, your marriage will become bankrupt. Well, and I want to, I want to transition to that very specifically. And I, I have one more question and I, mean, I feel like we could go on for a while. Sure. Maybe we'll do a two-parter, three-parter, <laughs> but before we go to marriage, because I think that is a vitally sure. important that you can speak to, yeah. how long have you been married? It's a good question. Uh, 2011, <laughs> yeah. so five and a half years. That's and, and that's amazing. And you are just recently 30. Yeah. But before we move on to marriage, what would you say is a lesson or some lessons? What has parenting changed in you? What is some lesson other than completely changing the way that you look at other kids, other people, I would imagine? Mm-hmm. What are other things that you have taken from it that walk with you in your, your path now? Well... One of the big ones is that I'm responsible for my own children's spiritual walk. I am charged biblically to teach my kids first. I'm the one that teaches them. The church comes alongside me. School can come alongside of that. But I'm the one that teaches them about Christ. And that's on me. You know, I'll, I will answer for that. So I'm, I take a lot of pride in that. It's probably not the right word, but I'm, there's a lot of weight on my shoulders. You take it very seriously. I do. So I teach my, my kids how to pray. Um, I teach them what it looks like to read their Bible, what it looks like to give charitably, what it looks like to tithe. Um, even my near three-year-old, I teach him what it looks like to give his money to somebody. You know, we'll give him a dollar or something. We talk through what it would be like to tithe. And he may not understand what a, what 10% really is, but it doesn't matter. Not at this point. 
the idea that it's not his money anyway. I gave it to him. All he's charged with doing is giving some of it back to who gave it to him. And so that's how I'm, that's how I try to teach my kids is that, you know, God gave us this money. He could easily take it back. He doesn't want our money. He wants our heart. So I'm, we are going to give back at least 10% of what he gave us in the first place. So teaching my kids about the gospel and how to be kind and how to love other people, that's the thing that just kind of happened. I didn't realize that I was teaching him this stuff until I, until I was. Mm. So I take that, that part of my role very seriously. I'm thankful for my wife because she helps me not be so serious about it. Cause I mean, I think of their, I think of their salvation. I think of, um, the kingdom changers that they're going to become. And she's like, yeah, they will, but they're kids right now too. So let them be kids, teach them about the gospel, but let them be kids too. So I'm thankful that we have a balance with that. And as with all things, you know, that, that having that, but with anything that's of vital importance to you, yeah, you, you've got to hold it tightly enough to grip it like a rope, but loose enough where I guess you don't give yourself rope burn. I mean, we, we are in this life and, and we are drinking, uh, I'm drinking caffe- caffeine-free tea right now, but we're, we're here to enjoy it yeah. as well. So it's always nice to have a, a partner, a friend, whatever that can kind of show us our, our blind areas. Yeah, keep you in check, you know. The areas where you're not necessarily as naturally yep. inclined yeah. You know, I've, my wife and I, with, with the business that we also work together, we do a lot of with personality color analysis because we want people on our team to have, we want to know what kind of personality they have so we know what their strengths and weaknesses are. Like Myers-Briggs? Um, similar. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so the color, we use color analysis mostly. So red, green, yellow, and blue personality colors. Um, I'm primarily, primarily a red a leader. I'm a pusher and, um, I'm task oriented. I like to get the, get the job done. And sometimes that, that causes me to neglect the relationship part of it. And my wife is relationship bound. I mean, she is all about building the relationship. So we really feed off of each other. So another big takeaway of parenthood is I want to, I want to create kids who are going to be good husbands. You know, I want to create kids who are going to be good professionals, who are going to be good givers, um, who are going to be good brothers to each other, you know, constant, uh, not constantly, but regularly thinking about the long term. What are these boys going to look like when they're men? Are they going to be real men or are they going to be pansies? And are they going to be too shy to stand up for what's right? Are they... Or are they going to speak up for what's right and speak up for other people who can't speak up for themselves? And are they going to be men? You know, are they going to conquer the world? Are they going to look at a task head on and not be afraid of it? You know, those are the types of men I want to make. And otherwise, why be a parent? You know, mm-hmm. that's, I don't know. Anybody can procreate. Not, not everybody can be a good parent. You know? And all the myriad of things that you're talking about, like having strength, but I would imagine you've got to temper that with 
the compassion as to not become a bully sure. or sure. a dominating force. Yeah. And it all the myriad of of, of things, and, and it sounds like you're thinking you have your eye on kind of the long term view, and your wife is from a relationship building standpoint that you were talking about. Maybe is more able to exist in the just right here, right now. Sometimes that's all she can do to is to exist in the here and now because she's pulled in every which direction. Sure, uh, yeah. And so thank, and I'm I'm more of the dreamer in our household anyway. Uh, I'm a big picture sort of guy. I like the details, but I like the big picture more. And she's less detail oriented, but she's more day to time focus. Does that make sense? It's just remarkable how how we've learned that about each other. You know, it's it's just it, and how profoundly beneficial if you're in a relationship with someone. So, I mean, I know Myers Briggs pretty well, yeah. and I also know the Enneagram. Have you ever heard of that? It, all of this is uh, personality typology or, mm-hmm. or whatever. But when you a, two things. When you discover what you are and, and you really feel like they got you right on it or you figured out what you are correctly, there's just sort of this like, whoa, this almost gut reaction. Of yeah. Like, oh, man, that's me. Right. That's so me. Yeah. And then when you kind of understand your partner from the perspective, you, you kind of start understanding, wow, this is why they don't like that kind of a song. Or they, they don't <laughs> – you, you can see how profoundly – on one hand, alike people can be mm-hmm. and how you can be in this great relationship with somebody and yet how they can look at things so profoundly differently. Yeah. And then you kind of go, Oh, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's right. Thanks so much for listening to part one with Kevin Vaughn. You know, I, I was amazed at how much I enjoyed hearing about how different childbirth and being a parent was from what Hollywood teaches us. Not that that's probably always wrong. It's just not always right. And and I love that in, in a similar way that I loved Carly Smith's episode because she found her, her husband later in life or not later in life. They found each, each other later in life after they'd already been together once before. In other words, he was the one that got away that came back. Or I guess you could say, or vice versa. And the same can be said for Kevin Vaughn's experience with childhood. It did not match with the movie, with the television show. And and I find such freedom in that. You know, I feel like one of the, the most challenging parts of life is when we we can predict when we we have negative predictions of our life and when those get confirmed and not saying that that has anything to do with with it's just when when we're free to experience life as it really is with all the question marks and all the ways it deviates from any of the preparations we had in our culture because it means who knows what what's going to happen he's Right now, Kevin is still learning constantly every day what it means to do this thing that he's been doing for a long time that is still new and fresh and needs every 100% of him each day. So I hope you enjoyed part one. Part two, we will dive more into the topic of relationships and marriage, although that was 
heavily featured in part one. Until then, I hope you are having a great week wherever you are. Hope you're having a great day wherever you are. And I will be back next week with part two. And until then, take care.